Well, good morning, everyone. I have to say it's great to be back. Uh, I know I did not plan to be gone when it was minus 30, but I am glad that I was gone when it was minus 30. That was just uh, a gift, at least for me. I'm not sure it was a gift for you, but I enjoyed the gift immensely. But I'm tell you, it was nice to come back. And as I walked in this morning, a woman without kids walked in. I said, good morning. And I noticed she walked into the nursery. And I knew, I know she won't be able to be part of the service because she is serving us and serving those of us that have kids. And I thought, wow, that's the kind of heart that it just warms you as a pastor to see people giving of themselves. And then uh, I uh, got back, and usually, uh, this is some inside information, as pastors we talk about when we're away for an extended period for a few weeks, often we come back to solve problems. And I got an email, and this was the problem that I had to solve. Hey, Julie and Ed. I normally would just email Julie, but I wanted you, Ed, to know how great she is and what she is doing in the Springvale family. See the problems that I have to come back to right here? We got a surprise care package at our doorstep last night, and it was from Springvale Kids. The note inside made me cry. See, now our staff are making people cry because of the way they're acting. I thought, oh, if acknowledge, uh, uh, it acknowledged that it's been hard lately and that they're praying for us, they love us, and most importantly, that God always makes a way when there seems to be no way through. And the con- what are they teaching these people? Anyway, and the contents were so awesome and thoughtful, I was amazed at, again at how intentional Julie is at caring for the families of Springvale. She really does have a heart for all of us. And her light for Jesus shines so bright. We're thankful for you and all appreciate all that you do. And I thought, how am I going to solve that problem? Like, so I come back and it's like I'm not even gone because our staff is so good. Isn't that great? And I just picked on, she's going to kill me for doing that. I just picked on Julie because I just happened to have that email. And I thought, you need to know of the quality and the character and the effort and the heart uh, of our staff. And Julie represents her staff, and we have other staff uh, at the same commitment level that I'm so thankful for. I had not one problem to solve. They were all taken care of. In fact, they will say, I'm the problem. They get ahead when I leave. Now that I come back, they've got the problems to to solve. So, well, that's life, right? Um, So uh, it's just so thankful. And speaking of staff, we're celebrating today Uh, the fifth year anniversary of two of our staff members. Now, you probably don't know these staff members. They serve behind the scenes faithfully. They're uh, our chief custodian, Darren Bevan, and our cleaner, uh, Anita Jerry. And they faithfully work and clean up after us and care for us. And and they are celebrating five years, and they have been faithful. So I want to acknowledge them. So would you please stand with me, and let's just acknowledge them. Darren and Anita, thank you for five years. So uh, let's pray uh, over them. Father, we are very grateful for the gifts you give us, and most often your greatest gifts are the people that you bring into our lives. And we're thankful for Darren and Catherine and their three boys. We're thankful for Anita 
and Stan and their two girls and Lord, the way they serve, we're so grateful. They never have a bad attitude. They never uh, pull away from serving. They don't complain. They are just faithful and good, and we're thankful for them, and we honor you for them. And now, Father, as we look into your word and go into this fresh series on the book of Acts, we ask that you would enlighten and lead us and change us through the study of your word. And as we spend so much time looking at you, Holy Spirit, we just simply pray, come, Holy Spirit, speak to us, lead us, teach us, fill us for your glory. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Thank you. Maybe seated. So one of the things that uh, pastors, I find us talking about a lot is, through COVID, is who's going to come back? And uh, the research tells us that 20 to 30% of people will not return, not just not return to their church that they came from, they're just not even coming back to Christianity at all. Like they're gone, gone. And, and I, you know, there's a number of different factors that are behind that and, and you know, what's going on in the heart of different people. But, but I look at what did we do to contribute to that? that you could be a part of a church for years, and then when we go through a tough time like COVID, it's like, yeah, I'm not even sure I wanna be part of the faith anymore. And I thought about it, and, and, and as I look back, and I do some reading on it, there, there was a, a sense in which we, as church leadership, recognized, we saw what you were going through, and we felt what you were going through. It was the busyness of trying to live a life in a highly active, highly mobile, highly demand, high expectation culture in which you're you know, trying to find your way with your career or with your life. It's trying to figure out, am I going to be single? Am I going to be married? And if, if I find somebody, and then if you do find somebody, building, finding a home, finding a house, finding a place to live, building a career, and then you know, trans, going back and forth in your commute, and then having kids, and then spending time, and the kids at sports, and kids at their programs, and school, and then you know, we're mobile, we've got family all over the place, and, and, and we, church leaders said, how do we create a worship and Christ-following experience that, that people who are so busy and people have so much in their life can still follow Jesus? And so what we did unintentionally was lower the bar for following Jesus. And that had unintended results. Because when you lower the bar on anything, and you, you allow people to skim or to skate, what happens is they don't engage. And we truly only feel fulfilled and meaning is when we pick up responsibility and engage. And so as a result, we have people who are bored with Jesus, who find no fulfillment no answers, no meaning in following Jesus. Who see Jesus as an option in life. Who like playing it safe and who become self-focused. Church is there for me and what do I get out of it? And that was the unintended effect 
of lowering the bar. And then I read scripture and Jesus to stressed out, highly uh, busy people living lives that had different demands than us because just living each day took a tremendous amount of energy. And his words to them were not to lower the bar. He actually raised the bar and he said, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And so he actually raised the bar. Not everybody followed him for sure. In fact, many didn't, but many did. And when they engaged in their faith, these people were willing to suffer for following Jesus and, and go through pain and persevere and lose property. And even some lost their lives and they considered it a joy and a privilege to suffer for Jesus. And I thought, what am I missing? What are we missing? That we are bored with Jesus and these people are dying for Jesus. And so I thought we need to look at the story of the book of Acts and seek for the renewal that I know many of you want and are looking for and some of you living. And the place to start, of course, is Acts chapter 1. And I have to say that Acts chapter 1, the beginning of the book, it, Acts is not just, well, why did, we, why did God put Acts in the Bible? Like, Acts is the second half of Jesus. You need to understand that. This book is the description of the second half of what Jesus came to do. It's not just a history book with a few good stories. It is an explanation of how Jesus works through his people and, and brings to this earth the redemption that he died to give. It is the natural outflow. It's the other side of the coin. It's the completion of the story of Jesus. The book of Acts, that's how important it is. And so Luke, writing in 1 chapter 1, he said, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. So now watch, he's taught, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, and he wrote the gospel of Luke. And he said, when I wrote the gospel, I previously wrote about what Jesus did, all the miracles that he did, and the incredible stuff that he did, and the teaching that he gave, the odd people, they're like, where did he get this teaching and this authority? Until the day he was taken up unto heaven, and after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit and the apostles, he had chosen. And after his suffering, he talked about how Jesus suffered on the cross and presented him to them, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So he, I talked about what he did, and what he taught, and how he died, and then resurrected and how he proved. Uh, that was all the book of Luke. That was the previous writing that I did. And now he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Now stop. After Jesus rises from the dead, Luke says, he appeared to the disciples for 40 days and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? A simple explanation, it is the reign and rule of God primarily in the hearts of each person. The reign and the rule of God in the heart of each person. Now let me ask you a question, let's stop. 
Are you in the kingdom of God? Now, I'm not asking you, do you go to church? I'm not asking you, do you read your Bible? I'm not asking you, do you go through, have you been baptized? Do you give? Not, you can do all of that stuff and yet not be in the kingdom of God. I mean, people in the kingdom of God do those things, but the kingdom of God is a heart issue. It's where a person says, I am totally surrendered to, and I love Jesus so much, I'm surrendered to the reign and the rule of Jesus in my heart. So he is first, and then my family, and my work, and my money, and my sex, and my attitudes, and my actions, everything I do comes into submission to him. And he is first in my life ahead of all things. And yes, I have areas of my life that Jesus keeps talking to me about, and I keep surrendering to him, and that's called growth, but that's what the reign and the rule of Jesus is. And my question to you is, are you in the kingdom of God? Only you can answer that question. I'm not asking, are you perfect? Of course you're not. I'm asking, in your heart, have you said, Jesus, you are first, and I submit, I obey you, I submit to your reign and your rule in my life. That's what he talked to them about. Then on one occasion, so Luke says he's talking about the kingdom of God, and then he goes, on one occasion while he was still eating with them, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father's promise that you heard me speak about. Don't, I know you want to get going on this thing, but, but look, just stop. Don't start anything until you receive the gift that the father wants to give you. What is that gift? He says, for John baptized with water, but a few days you will be baptized. You will be immersed with the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. You are going to be immersed into the Holy Spirit. And so they, unsure of what he's talking about, gather around and ask him, Lord, or at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He was speaking about the kingdom of God. They're speaking about the kingdom of Israel. We know later from Paul in Romans chapter 11, God is setting aside the kingdom of Israel for a time to expand the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about in that in a second. And he says to them, look, it's not for you to know the times and the dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you, this is what you need to know, two things. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Two things, he says. You're going to be my witnesses all over the earth, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to do what I'm telling you to do. Now, it took me a lot of years to understand the depth that Jesus is speaking with when he gives these two things. This, when he says, you know, you're going to be my witnesses, this is way bigger than we ever thought. It's way bigger than we think. This isn't just, oh, now there's a church. Wow, what am I going to get the church to do? Oh, I know, make disciples. This reference that Jesus gives goes all the way back to the first and original command of God to humans. It goes back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, if we can see that on the screen, please. Genesis 1, 28. 
Genesis 1.28. Oh, yeah, I don't have it on my back screen. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, if, you, if you're familiar with the Genesis account, you know God created the world, and then he created Adam and Eve, and this was the command he gave. And I want you to multiply, and then I want you to go out, and I want you to subdue the earth, and bring the knowledge of God to the entire earth, which raises a funny question you might be interested to seek out, is this. What was the rest of the earth like? Clearly it wasn't like the Garden of Eden because they had to go out and bring it into submission. We're not told what it was like. Adam and Eve must have known what it was like, but they are told you go out, you multiply, and then you go out and you bring the knowledge of God through the entire earth. But unfortunately, before they even began the mission, they sinned and brought through the rebellion, brought sin and brokenness into the world, and God had to bring judgment on them. But interestingly, God didn't throw Adam and Eve out. He promised to redeem them, nor did he throw out his command. And they were told, you're still to go multiply and fill the earth. Now you've just made a lot harder because of sin. As we go on in the Genesis account, we find out the violence and sin begins to fill the world. Cain killing his own brother, Lamech uh, killing somebody who offended him, and it just violence begins to grow to the point that we're told in Genesis that God was grieved that he made mankind because it became so violent and so sinful, and God said in his righteousness and justice, it is time to bring judgment on the earth, and so he brought a flood and to wipe out mankind, but it says Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And so God created, commanded him to build an ark and bring his family in. And through his family, God was pressing the reset button. I, I originally created mankind. They sinned and it's deteriorated to such a place. I need to reset it all. But Noah found favor in the, in the eyes of the Lord. And God continues mankind through Noah. And then interestingly enough, as they come out of the ark, this is the command that God gives to Noah and his family, uh, Genesis chapter nine. Just as I gave, then God blessed, okay, which one am I going there? Uh, Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. And then God blessed Noah and his sons. Okay. (laughs) We're having trouble, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm having trouble too. (laughs) Okay, we'll just get, let me just go to it and then. We'll go old school on this one and we'll actually uh, go to a book, which is ironic. So Noah comes out uh, of the uh, ark and his family. And then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful. Now where have you heard this, an increase in number? Where have you heard that before? Adam and Eve. And then fill the earth, and the fear and the dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth, and on all the birds of the sky, and every creature that moves along the ground, and all the fish in the sea, and they are given into your hands. It's a repeat of the command that God gave to Adam and Eve. (laughs) Be fruitful, and then go out and subdue the earth. And by subdue the earth, it's not bring it under your harsh rule. It's to bring the knowledge of God 
so that the creation may be free in the knowledge and in submission to God. It's the kingdom of God expanding through the world. Well, as happened after Adam and Eve, so happens after the flood. The earth gets worse and worse and worse, and people sin. And we we come to the Tower of Babel. Uh, I don't know if you remember that story in the book of Genesis. And uh, God says, look. Now, what's interesting in this story is that God says, go out, right? Go out, multiply, and subdue the earth. And in the book, in the story of Babel, it's no, they refused to go out and they gathered in. And when they gathered, they built a a tower or ziggurat, which is a place of worship for a God that wasn't the God. And so they're saying, no, we're not going out and we're not going to do your command and we're not going to go through the earth and we're going to replace you with a totally different God. And God says, fine. He now brings judgment on the people and he confuses their language, which spreads them out. But then in Deuteronomy, we're told he dispossesses the nation. He disinherits them and says, fine. If you want to live without me, if you don't want to obey my command, then you can go. It's the Romans chapter one, the uh, the very first time. Romans chapter 1 is fulfilled. He gave them over to their sin and God disinherits them, the nations, and he chooses now a single individual whom we know as Abraham. And this is the promise that he gives to Abraham. Or rather, the command that he gives to Abraham. I will surely bless you I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the sea. Where have we heard this before? What's what he said to Adam and Eve? It's what he said to Noah. I want you to thrive. I want you to go out and multiply. And your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I want you to go out, I want you to thrive, and I want you to subdue the earth and bring it into submission to me. And and Adam and Eve and mankind didn't do it. After the reset with Noah, mankind still rejected God. And so now I'm going to choose you, Abraham, and your people. I'm going to make you into a great, I'm I'm going to multiply you, and you go out, and As you go out, you will bring into submission the whole earth under the knowledge of God. Now just stop for a second. One of the songs we sang this morning was Great is Your Faithfulness. God is fulfilling the promises he made to mankind. And Abraham would be thousands of years after Adam and Eve. Thousands of years, I'm guessing, after Noah. And God is still faithfully working his purposes out for the world that he created. Despite the sin, despite the rebellion, despite the disobedience, God is faithful. And what he's looking for is people that persevere in the belief of his faithfulness. I don't know about you, but most times I pray and ask God for something, there's a waiting period between when I'm praying and when it happens. Sometimes God answers quickly, but the longer I walk with him, the more it seems there is this wait time between my need and God's answer. And what scripture tells us is to persevere, to learn to trust 
and God as we wait on him. Are you in a waiting time? You wondering if God has forgotten you, will he be faithful? I have a friend that we, is part of our prayer group, and he prays for his adult children regularly. And he has shared that for years, he's prayed that they would walk with Jesus, but they're not right now. They grew up in a Christian home, but they didn't, they're not walking with Jesus. And he prays constantly for them. And he has said, I believe my role as the father of, the, of my children is to bring them before Jesus, and I believe that he is going to answer, but I don't think I'm going to be on earth when he does. Was that, is that not perseverance? I am going to continue to pray for years and years and years in the belief that God will be faithful to respond to my prayers, even if that means I'm gone off the scene and God is working in them. He so trusts God that he is persevering even when he believes I may not even be around to see the answer, but the answer's coming. There's usually a gap between your need and God's provision. Are you willing to wait on him? Trust him? That's what the gaps do. That's what perseverance requires. A willingness to trust in the faithfulness of God. I want to encourage you. He's worth waiting for. He will be faithful. It's just the time you're waiting can be hard. It can be hard. But trust him. Count on him. Well, the problem with... Israel, the nation that came out of Abraham, is the same problem with Adam and Eve, and after Noah, is the whole Old Testament really is a story about God trying to get his people. The whole history books of Samuel, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, uh, judges are an account of people struggling to, oh, to submit to God and obey him and to worship him only. And so you have this constant battle of God saying, I've called you to multiply and go out and, and bring my name and bring the kingdom of God to the ends of the world. And, and here you are uh, struggling to obey me and even worship me. You're, you're seeking false gods. And so you constantly see this struggle to the point, do we have Jeremiah uh, chapter 1, verse 10. They have returned to the sins of their ancestors who refused to listen to my words. And they have followed other gods to serve them. Both Israel and Judah have broken the covenant I made with their ancestors. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Joseph. And that's the, that's the judgment, that's the assessment God has of his people after centuries of trying to get them to get on board with his program. He says, my assessment is their heart has turned away from me. They are disobedient. They have broken the covenant. So I am ending the covenant I have made with Abraham. Actually, he's putting it aside and I'm going to call, have a new covenant, a new covenant covenant in which their hearts, if you're reading along right now, their hearts will be changed. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that Jesus was the initiator of that new covenant. That he, he came to take our place in the cross, die for our sin, so that we could be reconciled with God, and so that in give, being given the gift 
of the Holy Spirit, our hearts would be changed and we would be changed from the inside out. So that we might what? Be part of the command, the original command of God that is for the best of this world, that we would make disciples, we would multiply, and we would go through the entire earth. This, this command of Jesus is way bigger than we ever thought. It stretches from the very first book of the Bible. It is a theme that runs all through the Old Testament. And finally, Jesus, the perfect Adam, the perfect man, the Savior who redeems us and gives us his spirit, he says, now we're going back to square one and we are going to pick up the command that God has for all of those who are part of his kingdom and we're going out and we're going to fulfill what God has asked and I have led the way, now you follow. This is way bigger than we think. This has been going on and God has been working this since the beginning of time and he's calling us into it. Can you think of anything that you can live for that is greater than that which began by God at the beginning of human race and has continued all through time and will be summed up when Jesus returns to this earth? Is there anything greater you can give your time, your energy, your money, yourself to? It's way bigger than we think. And it's way better than we hoped because he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to dwell. Now, Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not uh, a thing that we are given. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit willingly takes a submissive role to the Father and to the Son. And he now comes and dwells within the spirit of people. You have been, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and believed in him for the forgiveness of sins, you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is meant to empower us to do the ministry. And you go, I, okay, I, like, I get it. I know the, the Bible teaches that we're given the Holy Spirit. I, 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 I don't really understand. I don't really understand. How does the Holy Spirit work? Well, we have a model of how the Holy Spirit works in Jesus. Because we are told uh, in Scripture, when you follow the life of Jesus, that he was filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't particularly get and understand how Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, how that all came together into a person. I, that is, Paul says, that's a mystery. It's inconceivable how God and becomes a man, fully God, fully man. But into this mix, we are told by the writers of Scripture that the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus to empower him to do ministry. Luke chapter 3, verse 22. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you remember this from Scripture. That Jesus is baptized. He comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven comes from above. People hear this voice. You are my son whom I love. With you am I well pleased. What would you think? Just stop. What would you think if you're there and you hear a voice from heaven saying, and you see like the whole, this this 
thing descending like a dove descending on this one called Jesus and then this voice of this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, the public ministry. Up to this point he has not been doing any works. He's about 30 years old. He hasn't been doing miracles. He hasn't been out preaching. And the first beginning to, 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 to start the ministry of Jesus is the coming and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Do you not think that's significant? The very next part of scripture is this, chapter four. We move into chapter four and we're told Jesus, full of the Holy, so Luke wants us to know, Jesus now is being empowered by the Holy Spirit and he left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and, and then he's tempted. And so I've got a gap in scriptures here. There's more scripture in between these two words. And that's where he went and he was tempted by Satan. And then Jesus returned, so now we're a few verses later, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He faces temptation and overcomes temptation by the power of the indwelling Spirit. And now he's returning to Galilee in the power of the Spirit to do the works that God has called him to do. And what do you remember about Jesus? In fact, he says himself, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news of the poor. So the works that Jesus does, the, the healings that he does, the miracles that he does, the casting out of demons that he does, is all done through the power of the Holy Spirit within him. In fact, we are told, Matthew tells us in Matthew 10 verse 28, if we could see that one please, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul, Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul together in hell. That's not the verse. I must have given you the wrong one. <laughs> and, just, and Jesus says, it's by the Spirit, chapter 10. I thought it was verse 28. It's by the Spirit that I drive out demons. And then in chapter 10, uh, he says to his disciples, you're going to go, you go, but don't, you go out and you're going to witness for me, you're going to go out and do ministry, but don't worry about it, because the Spirit is on you in everything you need to be able to do. When you need an answer, the Holy Spirit will give it to you. And they come back and they go, even the demons were submissive to us. The power of the Holy Spirit was evident in their life, enabling them to preach, to teach, to heal, to cast out demons, just like Jesus did, because they had the same power that Jesus did because the Holy Spirit came upon you. I told you it was better than you hoped. The command of Jesus is way bigger than we ever knew. It started in Genesis and continues now, but it's way better because you, if you are in submission to Jesus have been given the spirit who wants to use you in ways you can't even understand or explain to do ministry in people's lives. It's way bigger than we ever thought. It's way better than we ever hoped. You. You. You are his son, his daughter, you have been given the greatest gift, his presence within you. And now he calls you to obey him and to pick up the command that mankind has dropped and to obey. And that's what we're going to watch as we go through the book of Acts. 
We're going to see how the Spirit of God makes a difference in people who are willing to seek the Spirit and submit to the Spirit. Now let me just say a few closing points real quickly. As I said, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not impersonal. The Holy Spirit is a being, a personal being. And so how do you create, how do you create, uh, you create relationship with personal beings. You create relationship with your spouse, your friends, your family, and so with the Holy Spirit. You grow in relationship. The degree to which you are led by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, is the degree to which you have had a relationship with them. And this is very, this isn't anything new to you. The degree to which a person in your life influences you is the degree to which what? They are close to you. The closer a person to you, the more influence they have on you. And so with the Holy Spirit, the closer you are in relationship as you seek to know God, then the more influence the Spirit has on you. The closer you get to him, the more you hear him in your life. The closer you get to him, the more he prompts you, the more he leads you, the more he uses you. And so growing in the spirit is not about understanding some obscure theological truth. It's about getting to know a person and we get to know God through the healthy habits that we do. Getting into the word, getting into prayer, worshiping, community, being involved in his mission, generosity, those things that we talk about all the time, as you persevere in those, you grow in your understanding and knowledge of God and your relationship with him. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. And as you develop the relationship, the Holy Spirit will grow, the influence of the Holy Spirit will grow in you. The second thing um, I would say is that you hear us talking about my four all the time, you know, the people that you ask God to reach that are not far from him. That's how you link into the mission that Jesus gave. That's just our way here at Springville of saying, hey, this is what this mission, when Jesus said, you know, make disciples, go to the uttermost part of the world. Well, we can't reach everybody, but we can reach some people, and God has put people in our life, and he wants us to seek him. He told us to do this, to reach out to people and tell them about Jesus. They may or may not accept Jesus, and often it's a long process, and we, we intercede for them, and we be involved in their life, and we invite them where it's appropriate, or we feel prompted or we sense this is just a good idea and 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 that that my four is what we talk about what that's how we link into what jesus was talking about here when he said i'm sending you as my witnesses that's what my four is about so you know do you have my four if you're part of the kingdom of god where your submission and obedience to jesus well then that's just a natural next step Another thing I want to say, is it possible that the lack of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our lack of understanding the Holy Spirit, our lack of seeking the Holy Spirit, our lack of being submissive to the Holy Spirit, is a lack of being submissive to the Word of God through whom the Holy Spirit speaks to us, is it possible that the lack of the Holy Spirit in us as individuals, in us as a church, can account for the lack of answered prayer, the lack of seeing people come to Christ, the lack of seeing people baptized, the lack of 
a sense of well-being with God, a lack of feeling used by God. Is, the, 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 is it possible that that is what's at the root of this, that we need to be renewed in our relationship with God and with the Holy Spirit? Now, I understand where I'm talking. Uh, we come from a tradition that has historically downplayed the Holy Spirit because of a reaction against the over abuses of the Holy Spirit, crazy stuff that went on in the name of the Holy Spirit. So those of us from a con more conservative backgrounds just really kind of pushed away and didn't talk much about the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that we didn't believe he existed, it's just we're not really gonna, we're not comfortable with all the abuses, so we're not gonna even talk about the Holy Spirit. But here was the unattended effect. We lost an understanding of what it means to walk by the Spirit, which is a biblical command. And let's be frank, when you're walking by the Spirit and the Holy Spirit works, and we're gonna find this, he does some pretty weird things. He will push us out of our comfort zone. And so it's just safer to not talk about the Spirit. And so I'm going to challenge you, if you're on the extreme of you know, weird and wonderful and that's what you're looking for, be very careful because that's easy to be led astray by the evil one. But if you're on the side that's like, I don't even want to talk about this, you're quenching the Spirit in your life and in the church. And so I would say let us carefully seek God and seek the Spirit as we open up the Word of God and ask God, would you reveal to me what I need to know of the Spirit? Would you grow me to learn how to walk with the Spirit? Would you renew us as a church and renew me as a person to have a greater passion and an understanding and relationship with you. You pray that prayer, you will be a different person in 2023. But it takes courage. And it takes faith. Well, I'm done for today. <laughs> That's the foundation we're going to build on. It's way bigger than we ever thought but it's far better than the other hoped. Your question is, do you want to be part of what God is doing in this world?